Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo-wah. Welcome to the show. I'm Chris Graham. Jerry Ratcliffe. This is The Jerry Ratcliffe Show, and Jerry and I are going to talk about UVA football, UVA basketball. Uh, the men, the women play tonight. The men play tomorrow night uh, in, in the hoops action. And then Saturday, uh, Virginia hosting Pitt uh, in ACC football. Uh, Jerry, uh, we'll start with football. Uh, and uh, Virginia with another close loss last weekend, North Carolina 38, 31-28 win. And uh, boy, this one with with the uh, sort of coaching blunders, which I'm sure we'll talk about with the timeouts being burned in the fourth quarter. Uh, this one felt like it was a game that Virginia could have won if, um, you know, a couple more things had gone the right way. Yeah, you look back in, in recent weeks and, you know, they could have won that game. They could have beaten Miami. They could have beaten Syracuse. Should have beaten Syracuse. Um, could have easily beaten Miami. And, you know, each time it's um, either uh, blunders, as you mentioned, from uh, coaches or, or maybe some bad decisions on play calling or drop catches or penalties. Uh, there's always something that's kind of snake bites this team and prevents them from winning. So uh, they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot more than anything, and that's that's probably cost them a winning season uh, in my estimation. And uh, it just makes you wonder, when is it going to stop? Yeah, yeah. We both wrote this week about the the timeouts in the fourth quarter. Um, wanted to get your take on that. I know that's it's still as of as of us recording right now, it's still the top story on the football section of your site. Um, Tony addressed it. He he addressed the timeouts after the game and then talked to talked about it again uh, in his Tuesday press conference. Uh, maybe recap what he had to say in defense of the the decisions to call those timeouts and then maybe give your thoughts as well. I'll give him credit. He he actually brought it up. Uh, at his press conference, at the end of the press conference, none. I guess everybody was satisfied with what he said after the game, and then so nobody uh, asked about it during the press conference, and um, which was going to end about five minutes earlier, I think. And then Tony said, "You mean nobody's going to ask me about the timeouts?" <laughs> so we asked him about the timeouts, and uh, uh, he explained that the first one was called by Armstrong. They were trying to draw pit offside to get a first down. And that hardly ever works these days because teams know you're going to do that. But then they went ahead on uh, after the timeout and went for it on first down and made it. So that one didn't really hurt them early in the second half. But then uh, later, as they started to draw closer, uh, they they called timeouts on two consecutive punts. Um burning the only timeouts they had in, in what came down to a field goal of a game in terms of a uh, point spread. And, uh, I, you know, most of us thought, you know, instead of taking burning the timeout, just take a five-yard penalty and, uh, and punt it. And uh, I, I guess they weren't in the right punt – play call formation or whatever on the second one and the third one. I, I was, we're still mystified as to why they called that one, but um, it ended up that they scored, got within three points with a little over three minutes left, tried to onside kick because they had no timeouts left. 
Uh, otherwise, they would have kicked it deep and taken their chances, put the, put it on the shoulders of the defense, which had just stopped Carolina on a fourth down. Uh, instead, they onside kicked. Uh, I, I think uh, I think you and I, in, in our conversation this week, you said there was something like a 12% chance of recovering an onside kick. So they, they did not. Uh, Carolina got the ball at the Virginia 23 thanks to a penalty uh, during the onside kick. And drove down to the three or four yard line and simply ran out the clock. And there was no way Virginia could stop uh, stop the clock. You know, my sense, uh, having read through the transcript, I read through it a couple times. There was a question earlier in the press conference where it's interesting that he said at the end he didn't get asked a question about it because there were, he actually answered a question about the timeout that Armstrong called on the fourth and one, uh, where he explained. Um, uh the the thinking there which you know as you said nobody falls for the fourth and short uh offsides it's so rare to see that i'd love to see a percentage on that but um so that's to me that's a waste of time out as well but then the two punts it seemed like he indicated he said he he said something about a risky we were in a risky play call and I had heard yeah, I wasn't quite sure what he meant by that. Well, I had heard, you know, it, it, where we sit in the press box um, after the game, I heard that we were sitting near the the radio crew, John Freeman and Tony Covington. And they said something about a a, a fake punt uh, that they thought had been called on that play. And so when hey. he said something about a risky play call. That suggested to me maybe he was just thinking we knew that he had called a fake or not. He called he he was raising an issue with with his special teams coach, Keith Gaither. So, cause yeah, what, what, what else would there be a risky play call on fourth and two with your own 22? Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking because that's, that's, that's the only risk that I see is that sometimes it's an automatic thing that if the defense punt return team lines up a certain way, then the punter or whoever makes that decision uh, says, okay, they're in that look and when they're in that look, we're supposed to fake it. And so <laughs> even if you're like third yeah. and I don't know what it was, but uh it was fourth and two at the twenty the two. first one was fourth and two at the twenty-two. Yeah. Uh I mean I know it's two yards, but you're lined up fourteen to seventeen yards behind the line of scrimmage. So uh unless you're gonna throw it, that's a long way for a punter to run deep in his own territory. And so if that's the case and they were in fake punt uh, protocol, then, yeah, I can understand why they would call that because there was little chance of getting a first down there. Yeah, but it's still the same the same thing you said earlier applies. Just just call time – or not, not call time, I'll take a five-yard penalty. Um, well, yeah. Stand on the sidelines, wave your hands. I mean, you know, they have the kids holding those big pictures up over their heads to signal the play in. I loved how they – you know, one of them is an anchorman. One of them is like a uh, – I think Justin Bieber. I mean, hold up whatever sign you got to hold up over those kids' heads to say, don't snap the ball. I mean, um, run out on the field and, and, and do whatever you got to do. But um, the second one looked like it was just somebody – He and he even said so, uh, that uh, uh, somebody uh, was subbing out that um, the, the person who was supposed to sub in for them didn't uh, uh, go into the game like they were supposed to. That was fourth and 10 at the 32. So – Right. You know, to me, there's got to be some number. I I looked everywhere I could. I, I did searches. I, I read way too much this weekend uh, on analytics websites. And the funny thing is, I didn't find anything about trying to give a value of a timeout versus five yards on a punt. 
like most of the time when you find these analytics websites, they, they call any timeouts, they're, they're thinking about third and inches. You know, yeah, if it's third and inches and you don't have the right play call, call timeout. Fourth and two, you're still going to punt the ball no matter what. Um, the onside kick was also, he, he explained his thinking there. Um, he seemed to think, like as he was explaining it, that it were three minutes left. Um, and if you run, you know, three plays, 40-second play clock, it's two minutes a few seconds for each play, it's probably 15 or 20 seconds. He was saying that we'd have 30 seconds left, uh, we being Virginia, having 30 seconds left uh, if we got the three and out. Um, I'll quibble a little bit, 45 to 50 seconds more likely. And plus, if you stop them on their side of the field, um, you're probably getting the ball back around your 30, and you got to get about 30 yards to get in, re- or 30 to 40 yards to get in reasonable field goal range. Anyway, um not very good analytics as far as I'm concerned there, but um, at least he did, at least he did address it uh, a, a second time. Yeah. I'll give him credit for that. He hasn't dodged any questions from us all year under any adverse circumstances. So I'll give him credit for that. But, um, you know, again, that was a, it was a game they could have won. Now they're sitting here at the, um, Three and six overall with three games to play, one and five in the conference, uh, hosting a pit team which has had their number over the years. Uh, Pat Narduzzi, Pitt's coach, uh, owns a five and one record against Virginia. And uh, <clears throat> except for the Kenny Pickett last couple of years, they were Pitt has usually beaten Virginia with a more physical game, a very physical offensive power running game, big lineman, and uh, physical defense. And that's what Pitt has returned to. Uh, I I don't think Narduzzi and his uh, offensive coordinator the last few years, Mark Whipple, saw eye to eye. Whipple was a throw it now and ask questions later kind of guy, and he's gone on to somewhere else. And uh, I think – is it one of the Signetti's is the uh, – Yeah, that's right. That's offensive right. coordinator now, I believe. And that's right. They have gone back to power football, and we'll see how that works. But, you know, the Virginia is a, uh, I think, four-and-a-half-point underdog. I'm sure they will be underdogs next week against Car- Coastal Carolina here. And if that's the case, who knows what they might be going to Blacksburg between now and then. Uh, but I would think they would be underdogs – in Blacksburg, just because it's Blacksburg. But, um, you know, we were asking Tony about, you know, you you have an opportunity to win three games and still get bowl eligible, still have a winning season should you get to a bowl and win it. And we asked him if he ever mentions that to his team, and he said uh, he's not trying to put any pressure on his team. So... Obviously, they're not talking much about that. Uh, and, it, you know, it all starts Saturday with Pitt, the defending ACC champions. You know, the word uh, from the presser the was – champions, I guess it is. Yeah, there you go. And this is the last year. They the ACC champions, right? They were – yeah, that's right. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they beat Wake the in the ACC championship yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. Great, great. I'm glad you remembered that. We normally just assume that was Clemson, but last year actually Clemson was not there. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, uh, the word from the presser about the three wideouts, the three starting wideouts who were out, uh, was that um, 
uh, Dontavion Wicks is, uh, he's got a bone bruise and that may be a longer term injury. Of course, there's only three games left in the season. So who knows what that means? Uh, Keaton Thompson, it seemed like, uh, coach Elliott thought was, uh, possibly going to be available. I don't think he said that officially, but it seemed like he was indicating that there was a possibility. And I've heard word on Lavelle Davis jr. That, um, you know, the, the concussion protocol, all these injuries, according to coach Elliott too, happened on, in practice on Wednesday last week. That's, Boy, that's a terrible practice to lose your three starting wide receivers. Yeah. Um, but Davis had um, concussion symptoms um, that he didn't really recognize until that night. Uh, apparently, went and got checked out on Thursday last week. Uh, was told that uh, he'd have to be in concussion protocol. The word I've got is that he is um, he he's been cleared, but likely not to play just because he hasn't practiced all week. So um, we may we may have one of those guys. Maybe have Keaton Thompson. We may have none of those guys again this week. Yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> that's certainly a, a blow if you don't have them in your lineup with their capabilities. Although you know they they compensated for it last week with their next man up philosophy, which actually uh, was a good thing. Uh, Sackett Wood, who I think should have been starting at tight end all year, uh, hardly ever drops anything and and always seems to find a way to get open. Played a a really good game last week, and so did. Uh, the wide receiver, John um, Wilson. Yeah, we they call him Jr. for some reason, but uh, he uh, he had a nice game, and you know we hadn't really heard much of anything about him all year long. He'd been he was coming off an injury in high school. Um, I've pieced together because like, you're right, we hadn't heard about him. He he had played uh, his first uh, snaps were in week five. I think that's the Duke game. Um, he'd only had two targets going in, so and he hadn't had any catches going into the game last week. Five catches on eight targets. Um, so for a guy who, you know, wasn't healthy at the start of the season uh, and has worked his way into shape, he's worked his way into, uh, you know, he started and 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 had a, a had a productive game for Virginia last week. Yeah, and uh, Sackett Wood was targeted targeted eight times and had six catches for ninety four yards, including forty nine yards after catch which is, has impressed me the way he's able to run after catch. But And then uh, Starling had uh, was actually targeted six times and only had one catch, but it was for 40 yards and in a big play for Virginia. And they're going to get um, a Charlottesville kid back. He's been cleared to play, Malachi Fields, who uh wide receiver from Monticello High School, who – went down with an ACL in the spring and has been cleared to, to come back and play Chris, which is pretty amazing to me that you could come back that fast, but uh, we don't know. Apparently he's been doing some conditioning work to try to get in game shape. And he, uh, he finished last season with the bang. He, he made some nice catches and always seemed to get open and, and he's was a deep threat too, but um you know, I, I don't know how much workload he'll get considering the you know, circumstances, but that's another available receiver that they'll have. Hey, you know, if nothing else, if this is these guys are the future, you know, potentially of UVA wide receivers because, uh, you know, definitely Keaton Thompson is a is a sixth year senior. He's not back next year, and so getting these young guys some game reps is going to be valuable for uh, for the future, certainly for the spring, and then getting ready for next year. Um, and um, uh, just thinking through 
Yeah, defensively, the, I thought the defense, even though the stats didn't indicate it, I think Carolina had 450-plus yards of offense. I thought the defense did a, a solid job. They were on the field a lot because, you know, the, the offense had some lulls, um, and they certainly did the job in the fourth quarter. They uh, After after Carolina went up 31-21 um, on his first drive, it kind of spanned the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter. Uh, the defense uh, kept the um, – uh, Carolina offense off the scoreboard and allow the the the, the, off, the Virginia offense to to make that game interesting late. So um, you know, consider and that Carolina offense is really good. So to keep them off the scoreboard for the most part in the fourth quarter uh, in in a tight game uh, speaks volumes. Yeah, they, and they really held uh, Derek May and Josh Downs down in the first half. May's May's numbers at halftime were were pretty dreadful considering what he's done this season. Uh, they found some chemistry in the second half and really got things popping. But, um, yeah, it, it was hard. It, and that, that made it hard on Virginia's defense because uh, they couldn't get off the field on third down. Carolina kept converting third downs most of the second half, and that was a big difference in the game, I thought. Yeah, Carolina was uh, converted his first four third down opportunities, uh, scored on his first three drives. So great adjustments at halftime. Give, give the uh, – yeah. Coordinator, their credit. Uh, Virginia Longo is a, is a. I, t- I, I wasn't sure what he was going to be like when he came to Carolina, but uh, that guy has really impressed me. He, I think he's got to be one of the best offensive coordinators in the country. Developing Sam Howell and now Drake May, and uh, he's putting up incredible numbers for a fr- true freshman. And Josh Downs is going to. He's he's now made two quarterbacks reputations uh, that young man's going <laughs> yeah. play in the NFL. He, he made Sam Howell look really good the last couple of years. And now certainly he had 15 catches on 16 targets in the game against yeah. Virginia last week. And Virginia's secondary is one of the better secondaries in the ACC. So he really, especially in the second half, really, really found the seams and got open and, and, and made, it doesn't drop the ball. He's, he's, he's got good hands too. So um, the game on Saturday is a noon kickoff. You mentioned, um, you know, Pitt uh, is is back to its roots, the Narduzzi roots. They they're they're big. They'll run the ball, and you know the the turf will probably be. I mean, you know, I know that the the, the field at David A. Harrison, the third field at Scott Stadium, is is uh, you know got that multi million dollar drainage system under it. We've got a tropical storm coming through tomorrow, and it'll it'll wrap up early Saturday morning with a noon kickoff. I imagine it'll still be a pretty wet turf out there. So, you know, it'll be to the advantage of a team that can run the ball well, and um, Pitt does that, but Virginia actually against North Carolina at least. And I know I know Carolina is they got the 14th ranked defense in the ACC despite that eight and one record, but Virginia ran the ball pretty effectively. So you know we might see a uh, you know kind of an old fashioned three yards. I'd say in a cloud of dust, maybe three yards in some mud, uh, mud kind of game on yeah. Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, and uh, I expect Mike Hollins will get the bulk of those carries if Virginia is able to put together a running game. Um, Paris Jones missed last week with uh, some issues. And uh, even even though he's been cleared to return this week, sounded like they would, he would be limited maybe to special teams and that Hollins would be the featured back with Ronnie Walker, um, picking up the uh, other carries and and maybe Xavier Brown a little bit. Um, for Virginia's running attack. So uh, Mike Hollins actually played a pretty decent game last week. Um, and Ronnie Walker scored a touchdown. Uh, he only had 
six carries for 30 yards, but he did score one of uh, Virginia's four rushing touchdowns, which uh, was uh, something we haven't seen much of this year. Armstrong had two of those, and uh, Xavier Brown had one. Mike Hollins actually was the leading carrier, was 16 rushes for 75 yards, uh, and Armstrong's 12 rushes for 64 net yards. So um, Armstrong continues to be uh, a two-way threat for opposing defenses, but uh, you know, Pittsburgh's five and four overall, two and three in the league. And um, I don't think that they really have a shot at winning the Coastal, but um, I imagine that they feel like that they've owned Virginia pretty much over the last six years and will come in here pretty confident. They have frustratingly so for UVA fans. They have really, uh, it seems like those games always come down to a chance for one or the other to win the division. And and Pitt has largely dominated that series the last few years, as you mentioned. You know, I was going to mention about Brennan Armstrong. He has obviously struggled this year passing the ball. The new, the new offense, the timing offense not working for him. But I'll tell you what, and anybody that wants to question that young man and his grit on that on that last touchdown, the eight-yard scramble. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he, he just ducked his head and ran through guys into the end zone. Literally caution to, to the wind kind of thing. I mean, he, you know, he could have been, you know, he, he threw his head down to a point where he could have been injured on that play. He wanted to, that's how bad he wanted to score that touchdown for this team. So yeah, he's struggling this year, but uh, the kid, the kid still wants to win. He was not going to be stopped on that play. No matter what, <laughs> it would have taken the whole Carolina defense to keep him out of the end zone, I think, but yeah, I admire his fight. We've always knew he was a, a very fiery, fiery, fiery guy. Um, and we've seen that over the years. And, and this year we've continued to see it. Even though he's playing frustrated, he hasn't given in an inch. And, yeah, he might not be putting up last year's numbers, but it's not because he's not trying. And uh, he's doing everything he can, I think, to – make this offense work and it, it it just isn't where they anybody wants it to be looking for a great dining experience in charlottesville look no further than the aberdeen barn the barn has been family owned and operated since 1965 with terry and angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at virginia's big time steakhouse enjoy the fine dining or relax in the sportsman's bar a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then, because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Good Feet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. 
UVA Orthopedics and Sports Medicine boast one of the finest teams of doctors in the country, and they're right here in Charlottesville to not only provide care for the University of Virginia athletic teams, but also the Charlottesville and Central Virginia communities. UVA Orthopedics has been a proud sponsor of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show for the past two years, with numerous team members featured in weekly segments where doctors share great insight into various sports injuries, what causes them, how to treat them, and recovery time. Their team of experts are there for you and offer the best care to solve your health problems and get you back on your feet. Let their team of specialists get you back in the game. We'll mention that the women opened with a, a nice win over George Washington Monday night, pulling a win in the fourth quarter to win uh, pretty handily on the final score there. We were both there for the uh, men's game uh, um, with North Carolina Central, and the final score might not be what fans would have expected. Virginia won by 12. Actually, uh, after having a 16-point lead in the first half, uh, North Carolina Central rallied to take a very brief lead in the second half before Virginia went on a big run to take control. Uh, but there were, I'd, I'd say there were a lot of things uh, that fans could be excited about after seeing this team play. I wanted to get your initial impressions of what you thought from, from Monday night. Yeah, I thought North Carolina Central was a, a, a well-coached team and with some talent. They had the returning MEAC player of the year, I think, and another kid. Both of them put up a lot of points. And uh, Tony mentioned several times in his postgame that uh, North Carolina Central runs some really nice actions, uh, particularly in the middle of the floor. And, uh, the, you know, those guys didn't quit. They they played hard. They could have thrown in the towel when they got down. And uh, G, JPJ never really came alive that night until they did fall behind 44 to 43. And then Virginia put on a uh, 15 to 2 run and pretty much took control of the game with uh, a big three by Kihei and then uh, a steal and coast-to-coast -coast dunk by Reese Bigman, and uh, that really got the crowd going, and, and they never looked back, so to speak. But, um, you know, Virginia had a little scoring lull like we've seen so many times in the past, and that, that cost them a little bit. But I think overall the defense is a little better than it was a year ago, and it will only get better. Um I think they showed that they have more scoring options than a year ago and more depth, which we knew going in. And that's it's starting to uh, – it, it will evolve as we go. Uh, I think Tony uh, already kind of has a rotation in mind, and that can fluctuate depending on how guys practice from week to week and perhaps matchups with whatever team they're playing. But uh, – it was pretty much about what I expected. I thought they might win by a little bit more than they did, but then again, it uh, was opening game early and Carolina Central came to play. You know, you talked about the rotations. Um, you know, certainly not, no surprise, the starting five was was pretty much what you would have expected. Reese Beekman and Kia Clark and Armand Franklin in the backcourt, uh, Jaden Gardner alongside Caden Shedrick in the frontcourt. Um, first guard off the bench was one of our favorites just because we've had him on the podcast a number of times, Isaac McNeely, who got 23 minutes and um, seemed to play pretty solid. Had just one made basket, a three-pointer, but uh, it was on the floor a lot in ball handling situations, and that was pretty important. Tane Murray just got two minutes in the game, um, came in in the first half for a brief time. In the front court, you had Caden Shedrick play 27 minutes uh, at center. Um, 
Francisco Cafaro had a very efficient 10 minutes. He scored 10 points in 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, both those guys, in fact, had double digits in scoring. And then uh, Jaden Gardner had an off night offensively. He had, had just three points, but he had nine rebounds. And then Ben Vanderplas uh, got some good minutes, hit a couple threes, uh, showed his versatility, had some nice rebounds, a block shot, and um, also got a few minutes. Uh, there were there were three minutes. When I went back through the play-by-play, there were three minutes where Tony played Gardner and uh, Vanderplas beside each other, sort of a small unit, if you want to say, because those uh, Gardner's 6'6", and Vanderplas is 6'8", um, playing without a center, just maybe just to get a sense of what that looks like, because I think you'll see that lineup throughout the season. So, you know, I think that's part of this, too, that Tony is still it's his first game of the season. He was still experimenting a bit with, you know, how he's going to put guys together combination wise. And, um, you know, I, the, the alchemy there is kind of interesting. I mean, Virginia was 11 of 25 from three. They got some good looks from the three point line. It had a couple others that, that just rimmed out that, you know, they, they could have been over 50 percent. They got to the foul line an awful lot, which was very nice. That's yeah. been an issue for this team in, for years is that, you know, they, they just don't get to the foul line. I think they shot 30 free throws in this game. So a lot of good stuff to me offensively coming out of this game. And, yeah, the defense will get better as the season goes on and as these guys learn to play with each other. So, yeah, you know, all, all, to all things told, I felt like that was a pretty good first effort. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, you look at Gardner and Shedrick, they were uh... – seven of nine at the free throw line and Franklin was seven of eight. And th- those guys are going to get fouled, I think. And uh, that's a good way for this team to, to make up a, a, a big difference in, in points uh, at the free throw line. And, and the 11 threes, I think was the most, I don't think they ever had 11 uh, three pointers in any game last season. So they're already ahead in that department. Um, yeah. I, I think Gardner, I don't know, maybe it was cause his dad was, was there or something? He might have been nervous, but yeah, he, he didn't have his best offensive game. He was 0 for 4, um, made three or five free throws, and, and ended up with nine rebounds. So uh, he contributed in other ways, but you're right. Tony uses these non conference, particularly the early season non conference games, to experiment, dabble with lineups and chemistry and stuff and see what works and what doesn't. So when he gets into the bigger games, not only in the conference, but some of these big non-conference games that they're that are coming up, he'll have a better idea of what will work against what kind of systems and and who plays well together and that sort of thing. So uh, I don't think we can read a lot into these really early non-conference games, but uh, because he's he's a uh, He's in his laboratory trying to figure things out. Yeah, I wrote a column about that. I, I referenced several early season games from years past where uh, the final scores may not have been what fans expected going in, but um, Tony has his has his ways. And in, 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 you know, you, you don't want to disrespect anybody and think you're going to win, but he'll he he wants to win the game, but he also wants to get those looks. He wants to use those opportunities to learn more about his team and. You know, thinking about that, Armand Franklin, I've got to talk about what a game he had. He had 21 points, uh, his career high at Virginia and at Indiana. He's, he had a 23-point game in Indiana as a sophomore. He had a couple of – he had one 23-point game last year, actually. Um, but he had 21 in this game, four of seven from three, five of nine from the field, seven of eight from the line, as you mentioned. Um, and, you know, he, he seemed like it, he he picked up where he left off last year. Uh, he fit His last three games last year in the NIT, he was 12 of 23 from three. They fixed that flaw in his, his, his jump shot. And, uh, you know, he was three of three in the first half, um, 
had a couple early that really set the tone, I thought, for the Virginia offense. Uh, in, in that first four minutes, he had two threes. And, um, you know, even though he was only five of nine from the field overall, but it means he only officially had two other field goal attempts, he kept he kept getting to the foul line because he was attacking so well. So, you know, he talked in the offseason about how he spent a lot of time with Justin Anderson this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can see that. Uh, he, he, you know, last year he pretty much floated around the three-point line. He would shoot a lot of jump shots. Um, you know, Justin was a great three-point shooter at Virginia, but Justin, of course, so athletic. He would get he would get in the lane and get to the foul line as well. And I think you can see the, you know, maybe that mentality uh has gotten into Armand Franklin and has made him more aggressive. Yeah, and Justin made a huge jump between his sophomore and junior year, too, particularly with his shot, simply because he worked so hard on it. And I, I think he probably rubbed off some of that onto Franklin and, and showed him the way which is only a good thing because, you know, last year he struggled so much with his shot until um, they found a mechanical flaw, uh, I guess going back looking at video, uh, late in the season, um, and then they corrected it, and he shot pretty well from that point on. So he's kind of picked up where he left off. And you're right about, uh, you know, he, he drew a lot of fouls. He was fouled seven times. Uh three more than anybody else on the team. So uh, I think we're going to see him going to the line a lot. And when you're making seven of eight, that's that's pretty darn good. So uh, I think he's going to turn into quite an offensive weapon that this team certainly needs. And we both admit uh, to, our list, to, to each other and to our listeners, we don't know much about Monmouth, uh, the game tomorrow night. It's a 9 o'clock tip, so a late tip tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, the only thing I know about them is they played Seton Hall in their opener, which was um, actually Wednesday, just last night, and um, lost 79-52 to Seton Hall. And Seton Hall's uh, a pretty good team again this year. We, we've seen them in recent years. So we know that, you know, they, they've played one game already this year. Um, so, I mean, you know, maybe expect what you can expect there. It should be another opportunity. I don't know why we're playing so late. This is, this is you know, on a Friday night. And then – Nope, not that they have to put these things together, but the you know if you're if you're a UVA sports fan and you have tickets to that game, nine o'clock tip, and then you got tickets to the football game on Saturday, twelve o'clock kickoff. <laughs> um, you're not getting a lot of sleep in between. Um, All right. <laughs> and if you're a sports writer, yeah, you're not getting a sports writer or broadcaster. You're not getting much sleep in between. Um, but uh, you know, there's worse ways to spend twenty four hours, I guess, than spending a lot of them on grounds watching football and basketball. Yeah, you know, if I had any brains, I would have uh, made a point to look <laughs> to look at my son's uh, opponent schedule uh, uh, breakdown that he's worked so hard on and is on our site in our archives. If you're interested, it has a breakdown of every Virginia opponent um, going into the season by by month, and so. Uh, I will look at that when we're through. It'll be too late for this, but you could you can look at it before tomorrow night's game. It's a, a good breakdown of Monmouth and, and everybody else that they play. But um yeah, it's gonna be a uh, an interesting weekend with a late night basketball game. I guess we'll get through working around uh <laughs> one o'clock if we're lucky and normally you're at the stadium by uh ten AM. So yeah. Um Short night for sure. Short night for sure, yeah. And uh, and neither of us, Jerry, are spring chickens. So uh, I found that out this week. I had uh, 
you know, I'm in the news business as well. So we had a late Monday night basketball game. I think I got done that night around one or one thirty. In election night, uh, I'm I'm a you know I write politics uh, also for Augusta Free Press. I was up until three that night. Uh, yesterday was a wash. I was I could barely function after two straight late. You know, back in back in college, you know, you could stay up late every night. But when you're yes. you hit fifty years old like I did this year, uh, two straight late nights means you're uh, <laughs> you're out for a while. <laughs> yeah, no no question about it. That's it. the older you get, the harder it gets for sure. <laughs> uh, so we have um, a little recruiting news. Um, okay. Uh, I guess to close out the 23 recruiting class, uh, the last guy, Virginia, I think was involved with Cameron Carr point guard, uh, committed to Tennessee yesterday. Uh, so we can pretty much close out the 23 recruiting class, I believe. Uh, in the meantime, Tony Bennett. Uh, has offered Philadelphia big man Thomas Sorber, uh, class of 2024. He's a 6'9", 250-pound guy out of Philly. He's a four-star. He's rated uh, the number six overall prospect in the country by 247 Sports Composite, the number eight center in the country, and the number three overall player in the state of Pennsylvania. Um he holds uh, 15 offers already from UVA, Syracuse, Maryland, Georgetown, Virginia Tech, Pitt, Providence, Penn State, Richmond, St. Joe's, and Mississippi State, among others. Uh, good hands, a lot of agility for a guy his size. And Virginia is also in close contact with a budding seven-footer, seven-foot, 230-pound center, Braden Pierce, uh, also from the recruiting class of 20. 24. Uh, he's a four-star who was playing in Georgia last year in high school and now is playing at IMG Academy on their post-grad team. Uh, he's a guy that can play inside and he can also come out and be a stretch five. So uh, uh, he has been involved with Missouri, Utah, Pitt, Cincinnati, and now Virginia has jumped in and uh, he was quoted from uh, a writer with stock risers that said, I think Virginia would be a great fit for me with one of the best coaching staffs in the country. I would get a great chance to continue developing and academically it's hard to beat as well. I've only been talking to an assistant for the last few weeks and haven't talked to coach Bennett yet, but I look forward to building my relationship with them throughout the season. Um, and we all know that Tony Bennett doesn't offer um, anybody in this Virginia program until he sees them in person. So uh, be on the lookout for that in the coming weeks and um, we'll see where that goes. So no point guards uh, in the class, the upcoming class that me, I could imagine that means the 2024, a big priority is going to be point guard because um, I mean, you know, Isaac McNeely and Elijah Gertrude are combo guards. They can, they can play point if they need to, but he's, he's going to want to look for somebody in 2024 who can kind of bridge because after you know Kihei's done this year, um, Beekman. I mean, he I th I guess theoretically could still have two years left because he's a junior with the COVID redshirt year. He could be around for two years, but uh, he's a <laughs> I think he's an NBA prospect at some point. So um, so yeah, there's there's going to definitely be a push uh, in that direction coming up. Maybe even if they can get a late guy next spring for 2023. I don't know. And there's always the transfer portal. And there's a transfer portal, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Find somebody else's point guard and <laughs> find an unhappy point guard somewhere or somebody <laughs> wants to play in the ACC. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, I know that as we're wrapping up here, Jerry, um, we should thank our our sponsors who helped make this possible. Yes, we will. And uh, thank you for uh, your support, Aberdeen Barn, Good Feet Store. We saw uh, their owner, uh, Mr. Cotton, um, over at uh, Ralph Sampson's restaurant the other night. He was over there uh, hosting uh, Jaden Gardner's dad, I believe. Yeah, um, what a nice – he was so nice. He talked to us for a good while, Both actually two different times. Yeah, great guy, great, great family. I've met uh, a bunch of them, and they're all wonderful people. Um, and uh, Jaden, Jaden, obviously, uh, he and Kihei are, are two of their NIL guys that uh, Good Feet Store sponsors. And uh, uh, they also uh, do a lot of promotions for Virginia sports, and you'll see them, I'm sure, uh, a lot during basketball season with some uh, various – promotions uh probably down on the court during timeouts or halftime or something but anyway uh thanks to the good feet store thanks to aberdeen barn thanks to uva orthopedics and thanks to ragged mountain running shop and uh, even though these guys are uh, these new guys are website only uh thanks to blue ridge beverage uh who uh, distributes throughout the entire western half of the state of virginia they have jumped on board and we want to thank them, uh, Tom Parker in particular, who's a former JMU football player and also a UVA fan, lives here in Charlottesville. So um, uh, thank you to all of you guys and, and all our other sponsors uh, on the website for uh, making all of our content possible. We really, truly appreciate it. Good day. Go to jerryratcliffe.com for the latest. Get ready for tomorrow night. Get ready for Saturday with football. Also, check out augustafreebreast.com uh, with uh, UVA sports news and updates. Absolutely. For Jerry Ratcliffe, I am Chris Graham signing off. Everyone have a great day.